Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on episode 19 of my Houston Sports Podcast. My name is Jeff Balky. I'm a writer for Houstonia Magazine and the Houston Press. I also talk sports on Houston Public Media's Houston Matters program most Mondays at 12.45 p.m. on KUHF 88.7 FM here in Houston. You can hit me up on Twitter. My handle there is at Jeff Balky, that's B-A-L-K-E, or via email at jeffbalky at gmail.com. You can also find an archive of all my podcasts as well as links and notes for each one at jeffbalky.com. So today, we're going to take a look at the Rockets' chemistry, or lack thereof, Texans versus Brock, and what's next for the Astros now that their season has sadly and officially come to a close. So topic one, the Rockets and chemistry, and I want to start here because one of the things that we've heard a lot about throughout the offseason is how Carmelo Anthony's not going to work out. It's a similar refrain to what we heard with Chris Paul, and through the first few games of the season so far... It hasn't looked great. The Rockets have been struggling quite a bit. They're off to a 1-3 and three start, lost again Wednesday night against Utah. Um, the biggest concern, and Utah, they played pretty well defensively, but their biggest concern has been defense. They have been a sieve defensively. In fact, their, their interior defense, I believe, is last in the NBA currently. Um, they're just not a very good team on the interior. And the truth is, right now, when it comes to defense... The fact of the matter is, nobody in the league seems to be very good. There was a really interesting story on the Washington Post uh, yesterday. I mean, maybe it was this morning, actually. It was No, it was yesterday. About how teams are averaging now 113 points per game so far this season, which is the highest output since the early 70s. League-wide offensive rankings are reaching 110.8 points per 100 possessions which would be the highest rate in NBA history. Now, granted, it is early. It's a small sample size. But as they point out, the first few games of the year actually are a pretty good indicator of how things are going to go. And much of this is because of the emphasis on three-point shooting, the emphasis on you know uh, shots quickly in the, in the first few seconds of the shot clock, which is a staple of Golden State and Houston and Cleveland and teams that have been very good. Now, Cleveland, you can, you know, all three of those teams, you can chalk up to the fact that they also have some of the league's best players in them. But they've embraced this idea of shooting quickly, of taking shots from three, not getting in. And, and look, let me, let me just tell you real quickly my opinion on this before I get too longer. And it came through a conversation with Daryl Morey. When I was writing uh, the history book about the Rockets. I co-wrote this. If you don't know, I co-wrote the Rockets' 50th anniversary book. And in that, I interviewed Daryl Morey a couple different times. And at the time, this was a few years ago, I was still somewhat on the fence about this idea of threes and free throws and layups and um, you know, being someone who's watched the NBA for a long time. And I asked him, I said, look, explain it to someone who doesn't believe you. And really, basically what he pointed out, and, and it was the quickest thing for me to realize, was that the average player's shooting percentage from 18 to 20 feet is not dramatically different from their shooting point percentage at 23 feet. So if a guy takes an 18-foot jumper and he shoots, let's say, 37% from there, but he takes, you know, one big step backwards or two small steps backwards and he shoots 35% from there, You'd rather have him take the 35% shot because it's worth more points, 
right? Now, if the guy shoots 40% from 18 feet and 38% from 23 feet, then you definitely don't want him taking the 18-foot jumper. You always want that. Now, if it's a 15-foot shot from the free throw line extended, something like that, 15, 16 feet and in, that's different. That's when percentages begin to rise dramatically. So if you're going to take it, you may as well take it from outside the three-point line and get that extra point. And with teams really speeding up in the shot clock, you also have these new rules. There's the the new rule about when the when an offensive rebound happens, the shot clock is reset to 14 seconds, not 24. And then you have the this um, new rule about not being able to grab players as they're coming through the lane, this idea that they have to have a clear path through on offense. It's definitely going to, to rev up the offense. And I've talked about that a little bit, written a little bit about it. But when you look at it, you would think that would be ideal for the Rockets, and, and, it, and it probably will be. The problem, however, has been that this team has just been disjointed. Now, some of that has been impacted by injuries and suspension. Obviously, Chris Paul was out the last two games when he was suspended after that brawl in L.A., which was ridiculous, um, not on his part. Um, and then you had injuries. Clint Capella missed a bunch of the preseason with some injuries, you know, Marquise Chris, although I don't expect him to play a big role, hasn't really been back yet. Nene, who I don't expect also to play a big role, hasn't really been back yet. They're, you know, suffering with minor injuries. Brandon Knight hasn't even suited up throughout the preseason. <clears throat> the guy who I think could ultimately contribute. Um, we have uh, James Ennis, who's missed a game now with a hamstring. James Harden last night had a um, tweak, had to go out in the fourth quarter. The Rockets were... Only They were within five, and then as soon as he goes out, they score 10, and that's the end of the game. So there's been a lot of in and out of the lineup. Even Michael Carter-Williams has been on a minutes restriction. But the one good thing is that last night, Wednesday night, we saw Carmelo really start to finally break out and have a good game. Now, part of that is in the second half he started. So you have to wonder, is Carmelo just a guy that needs to start? Is this idea that... Mike D'Antoni had of, well, the rotations will be better because he'll be playing against the second team. You know, some guys look are just better. Look, Carmelo's been playing his whole life starting. I think it's kind of akin to a baseball player who's been a starting pitcher his whole career and then suddenly has to come out of the bullpen. It's not an easy transition to make. You have routines, you have the way you play is different. So I kind of wonder if maybe making that shift and putting him in the starting lineup, maybe that makes a difference for them. Right now, they just look at like a disjointed team. And I thought about it, and it reminds me a little bit of the 1994-1995 Rockets team, which went to and won their second title back-to-back. They were really struggling, and they made a trade to get Clyde Drexler, now famous Valentine's Day trade, to get Clyde Drexler. And they still struggled a bit when he got there, but there was a point where Hakeem went out. Hakeem got hurt. He was out for, I don't remember how many games that season, but he did miss a number of games. And Clyde had to become the team's leader. He had been sort of hesitant. And I interviewed Clyde for that book, and I asked him, and he said, you know, yeah, he, he did defer a little bit to Hakeem. It was Hakeem's team. But then there was a game against Denver that year where Clyde hit the game winner at the buzzer. And there was, a, there was sort of a noticeable shift. It's not like it suddenly became Clyde's team and Hakeem was no longer a part of it. It was still Hakeem's team. But Clyde became closer to an equal member of that team. And I think that we might start having to see a little bit more of that from Carmelo. Now, Carmelo is not the player that Chris Paul and James Harden are. He's not on that level. 
But Clyde wasn't on Hakeem's level at that time either. He was still very, very good, but he was not considered to be, you know, in the MVP conversation at all. I think in this instance, the Rockets need some time and some chemistry. Unfortunately, they're one and three, and they, they can't continue to lose. They're going to have to win some games. And that is going to partially mean playing teams that they can beat, right? This is a this is a, a you know a, a league where you can beat. Now that on Friday night they play, they're home for the Clippers, then they're uh, home for the Trailblazers, and you know before they go back out on the road. And it's it's sort of interesting, you know. You look at you look at some of these teams, and and you look at where they're you know the Trailblazers are playing well. They're two and one. You know, uh, the Clippers are are not particularly playing well, but better than the Rockets at two and two. Of course, one of the teams they beat was the Rockets uh, in L.A. You know, but then the Rockets—they're at New Jersey, not a good team. At Chicago, not a good team. Right? Then at Indiana and at Oklahoma City, which will then be more t- difficult because both of those teams, especially uh, Indiana, uh, excuse me, Indiana is very good. The Thunder are zero and three and not looking good. So it's going to be a real interesting test over the next few games to see if they can sort of pull this together. Will James Harden be back? Chris Paul obviously will be. How long will James Ennis be out? They need to start sort of feeling their way through this chemistry and trying to win in the process. If they can hover around 500 and and sort of keep themselves there for a little while, maybe figure it out, and then they can start to getting back on track. Right now, they just they don't look very good. And I think, look, some of the defense... Uh, I'm not sure their defense is going to be great all year, but then again, I'm not sure the NBA's defense is going to be great. The main thing is the Rockets can't be this bad, and their defense is not the fault of Carmelo Anthony, for everybody would say that. Their defense is interior problems. They can't stop shots at the basket. So we will have to watch them over the next few weeks to see how they shake out. All right, let's move on to topic number two, and that is the Houston Texans on Thursday Night Football, and Brock is back. That's Brock Osweiler we are talking about, and uh, I'm going to get to him in a second, but before we dig too much into the game, the Texans are 4-3, and three and they've won four in a row against all odds. All right, this was a team that I think everybody had left for dead. Now they're atop their division. And before we all go cheering and jumping for joy, which, hey, good for them, right? You know, any you'll take a win is a win is a win. But they have not beaten anyone that is any good (laughs) so far this season, right? They started the season, they've only, look, they've only really played one good team, and that's the Patriots, and they lost to them. Then they lost to Tennessee in Tennessee, and then they lost to the horrible New York Giants before they went on this four-game run. Two of those games had to be won in overtime, Right or was it three? I I can't even remember. It's gone gotten so weird. But look, the Colts' win was simply a botched call by Frank Reich. They they don't win that game otherwise. The Colts' coach, I should say. But look, they've they've beaten the Colts. They've beaten the Cowboys. They've beaten the Bills, and then they've beaten the Jags. The Colts are not good. The Cowboys are not good. The Bills are maybe the worst team in football, and the Jaguars are an absolute train wreck right now. On, you know, on offense, and their defense wasn't great, but, you know. So now they face the Dolphins, who are not good, and being led by Brock Osweiler, the backup there for Ryan Tannehill, and Tannehill is out again with an injury. So the Texans will face their old quarterback. Now, Brock, 
has had a couple of good moments, but it's the same as it always has been with Brock Osweiler. He has flashes of decent moments, and but most of the time he's not good. The Texans, especially defensively, have got to be really, really just licking their chops for this one. Despite everything else, the Texans do have a good defense. This is a good defensive team. They should be able to feast on the Dolphins. I mean, I don't think there's any question that the Texans are going to be able to defensively be good against the Dolphins. The big question really at this point is what is happening with the offense? What is going to happen with the offense? You know, the Dolphins are four and three. They're not a terrible defense. You know, Deshaun Watson has been okay. I don't think Kiki Kuti is going to play because he's got a hamstring injury. What is it with the hamstring injuries in Houston? So they still have Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins. The Texans linebackers have not really been particularly good this season. I mean, excuse me, the uh, tight ends have not been particularly good this season. Their running game has been improved, but we can't tell if that's against bad teams or just it's improved. When we look at this now... As a team, you know, coming up, they're about to be this is their eighth game halfway through the season. They could be five and three. We have to look at this and say, will the offense get better? And if it does, then you could start to say, well, maybe with some confidence and some improved offense, they could be better. But ultimately, it all comes down to their starting offensive line. Well, really, just their whole offensive line. Their offensive line is is a disaster. And Brock and, and Brock Osweiler, here we go. He's going to get hit for sure tonight. But Deshaun Watson is getting killed back there, hit more and sacked more than any other quarterback in the NFL. You know, he, there was this story about how he took a bus to Jacksonville because he had a bruised lung and they were afraid of his lung collapsing because of the air pressure change in an airplane. Yeah, because playing football is so much better for you than an air pressure change on an airplane. Um you know, the offense is, is a train wreck because of the offensive line. And look, that's the Rockets' front office fault. They didn't go out and get anybody. They didn't do anything to really help themselves. If this were any other quarterback, Brock Osweiler, let's say, the Texans would be the worst offense in all of football. As it stands, they're terrible in the red zone. They're terrible at scoring, but they can put up yards. So... <laughs> If they, I mean, I'm not saying they won't. They'll, they're gonna, they're not going to beat Miami. And I think they will. They're favored, I think, by like a touchdown. But it wouldn't shock me if the Texans lost on national television to the Miami Dolphins and Brock Osweiler. Um, and honestly, when you look at their schedule going forward, they're at Denver, who's been bad, right? They're at the Washington Redskins, who've been good, so that's a, that will be a difficult matchup for them. Then they're home for the Titans, who are not who are not very good, and the Rockets have uh, lost two once in this home game, so you could think they were maybe a little evenly matched. Then home for the Browns, who are probably the worst team in football. Home for the Colts again. Colts not very good. Then they're then they are at the New York Jets. And, you know, the Jets are not a good team this year either. Um, And then they're at the Eagles, who are shockingly bad. It's unbelievable how the world's, you know, the, the Super Bowl champions can be bad, but they're not playing well. 
And then finally, home for the Jaguars, who could still be a train wreck at this point. I mean, their schedule is... They're, look, they're not going to win out, right? They're just... That's not going to happen for the Texans. Uh, you heard it here. <laughs> but would it shock me to death if they went nine... Let's say they got nine games, seven and two over the last... Not really. They play a lot of bad teams. Now, injuries will play a part, obviously, on both sides of the of the football and on both sides of the field. But look, they're playing a cupcake schedule for the most part. It doesn't matter because they're not a, the Texans are not a very good team, and even if they do win their division, which is one of the worst divisions in football, maybe the second worst division in football, they're still not going anywhere. The Patriots are better. You know, I mean, the, in the just in the AFC, right? The Patriots are better. The Steelers are better. The Bengals are better. The Chiefs are certainly better. The Chargers are certainly better. That's just in the AFC. In the NFC, look, the Rams are the class of the league. The Saints are very good. The Vikings are actually pretty good. So they're not a good football team, but maybe they're mediocre. And that's better than being terrible, unless you're going to get the first pick in the draft, in which case... Um, you know, that ship has sailed. Okay, let's move on to topic number three, and that's the Astros. Well, the Astros are done. Obviously, the last uh, podcast we had was the day of uh, Game 5 of the World Series where the Astros bowed out in four games. Look, they, there were a lot of problems the Astros had in the end. Their pitching sort of fell apart. Um, you know, they, they uh, Jose Altuve was basically playing on one leg. Um you know, they had a lot of struggles, and, and, and of course, the Red Sox are really good. You know, I think we, we often forget that there's another team on the field uh, playing against the team that we like. And, uh, look, the, the Red Sox are good. They're already up 2-0 on L.A. in the, uh, in the World Series. I think they're probably going to win that fairly easily. And, uh, you know, then they'll move on. Uh, we'll all move on, I should say, into the offseason. And then that's the next real question. What are we going to do? So uh, Sean, Col- Sean Pendergast, colleague of mine at the Houston Press, and of course on uh, 610 Sports Radio in the afternoons, he wrote a story about Astros free agency, who returns and who's gone, and, and uh, Sean likes to do these kind of things. He's, he's a big gambling guy, and, and so he put some odds on these. And, and these are the big free agents. I'm just going to run through them. Dallas Keuchel, he is a uh, unrestricted free agent. Marwin Gonzalez, also an unrestricted free agent. Charlie Morton. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, he'll, I think he's an unrestricted free agent. Then you have Martin Maldonado, the catcher, uh, Brian McCann, who has a club option for next year, uh, Evan Gaddis, Tony Sipp and Will Harris. And I'm going to start down at the bottom of that list with Sipp and Harris. Look, Harris, you know, he's a guy that has has struggled this season, and he's a guy that's a, a kind of a frequent punching bag for fans. But he was recently an All Star, you know. And if if the Astros, if the Astros can bring him back at a reasonable price, it, it makes good bullpen depth. Tony Sipp was a fantastic lefty reliever, um, you know, uh, for them. Now the question is, you know, will say someone like CNL Perez uh, take his place? Um, I'm not sure, but he would be a good player to bring back. Now I'm going to move up into the catchers because we really, I mean, Evan Gaddis is a, is a DH, but he's a catcher. I think it's unlikely that Evan Gaddis returns. Evan Gaddis had really down numbers this year. He, he had some 
odd numbers even in the the World Series year. Um, I just th- this is one of the key areas that I think the Astros are going to need to to focus on going into the offseason, which I'll talk about here in a minute. Um, so I do not expect Gaddis to return. Brian McCann, I don't think there's any chance that Brian McCann returns. He didn't have a good year. He was injured, did not hit the ball well. Um, they have guys like Max Stassi, potentially Martin Maldonado, who they can bring in as catcher, you know, to catch next season. I just don't see him returning. Uh, and he wasn't a good defensive catcher. Uh, good dude, but, you know, unfortunately, I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, Martin Maldonado is an interesting one. I think he comes back. First of all, Maldonado is one of the better defensive catchers in baseball. And if you bring him up with Max Stassi, who had a good first half of the season last year, that's not a bad catching rotation. And Maldonado really gives them a component defensively that they haven't had in a while. A guy who can throw runners out, a guy who's good at protecting the plate. So I I think I'm with Sean on this one. He thinks about 65% chance he'll come back. I'm with him on that one. Then we have Marwin Gonzalez. To me, I think Marwin Gonzalez is a must-return. And the reason I think that is because, first of all, never mind his regular season numbers. I, Sean, as Sean pointed out, uh, he was felt more last year, even though he didn't have consistently good numbers in the season, but he had to replace guys who were injured. Correa, who was out for a while, Jose Altuve. He can step in for all these guys and play time. George Springer. So... Maybe he didn't have the great numbers throughout the year, but he played probably more than it, than than normal. Then you have the fact that in the playoffs, he has been fantastic the last couple of years. And he is sort of the ultimate prototypical um, utility player. You know, he he can he's a switch hitter. He hits for some power. Uh, he's been a pretty clutch hitter in the playoffs. He can play pretty much any position on the field except for maybe pitcher and catcher. So to me, he's one of my must-returns. That And that leaves us with the two starting pitchers, Dallas Keuchel and Charlie Morton. I think it's highly unlikely that Dallas Keuchel returns. I think he knew it pretty much all season long. He's going to get money this offseason because he's a lefty and he's a consistent lefty. Not great, but consistent. And and especially he's not going to, you know, he's not going to command... Uh, ace dollars here in Houston because we have Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. He might, however, command ace dollars for an, from another team. And so I think he's going to move on. Charlie Morton is an interesting one. Sean gives it a coin flip of 50-50. Um, I think it depends on the money. But, you know, Charlie freaking Morton was really, really good this year. He's a great team guy. Uh, you know, had that injury at the end of the season that sort of slowed him down, but otherwise he was really, really good. If you bring him back and then you make a decision, then you have to make a decision about the the next guy up after him. And and that's what I want. I think I think Morton's going to return. And here's here's the next thing is what do the Astros need in the offseason? We're getting ready to go in the hot stove league here uh, in another couple of months. And I think first of all, they have to get a bat. Um, I think they really need to go out after a, a DH for a bat. They just didn't really have that guy in the lineup this year that would put struck fear in the hearts of people, and I'm not sure they're going to get necessarily that guy, you know, the the sort of number one DH, big-hitting, power-hitting guy, but they need to go out and look for that. That's going to be a critical component, I think, for them. Then they have to decide what they're going to do about their starting pitching. I think their bullpen is in, is in pretty good shape. Um, you know, they bring back some of their guys, I think, which they will. 
uh, I think they're going to have some good guys in their bullpen rotation, but their starting rotation, let's assume for the moment they bring Morton back. That's their first three, and they have three good ones. So then you have to think, do they bring, does Josh James become a starter? Um, does Lance McCullers come back from injury, or do they move him into the uh, bullpen permanently? You know, as a guy who, you know, to protect him from injury, which you can't seem to avoid. Um, do you bring up somebody like Forrest Whitley, uh, you know, who has had a very good season in the minors, minus his, his dumb suspension? So I don't know. And, you know, we'll have to see there. Do they go out and pick up another starting pitcher? I'm not sure. And then what are they going to do about catcher? I think if Maldonado stays, he becomes your number one, and then you probably have Max Stassi, uh, you know, as your second catcher. But the Astros, I think they need some bats, maybe one or two bats in the lineup, and they're going to need a starter, and they're going to have to decide where that's going to come from. It's going to be an interesting offseason for the Astros because Astros, they're still extremely good. Um, it's just going to be a matter of tweaking that lineup and then trying to build in some depth, hopefully, so they can you know, deal with injuries and, and get themselves healthy. Okay, that's going to wrap it up for me. Just a reminder um, that I will be off from Houston Matters next week. I'm going to be on vacation. Yes, I'm very happy about that. But I will return to Houston Matters on Monday, November the 5th. That's a week from Monday. I should be here for this podcast, however, next Thursday. And you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Balke or via email, jeffbalke at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out my previous episodes and links to things that I've discussed here on my blog at jeffbalke.com. And uh, enjoy Thursday night football, and I will see you when I get back. Bye.